0: Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is plantations, Of the mind. My guest is James Tunney, author of many books, including The Mystical Accord, The Mystery of the Trapped Light, Empire of Scientism, Tech Bondage, Human Entrance to Transhumanism, and most recently, Plantation of the Automatons. James is based in Gothenburg, Sweden, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, James. It's a
0: pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, Great to see you, my friend. Looking well, as always, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> your your work is so broad i could hardly find a first question to be to begin with but let's let's talk about the word plant implant plantation it seems to have both positive and and negative meanings and i know you're looking at both of them
0: and, and that's really a critical idea one of my arguments is that although we we know about plants We fail to appreciate the significance of plants. For example, in our language and concepts, plants are everywhere. Words like, well, from the very basis of culture and cult and cultivate, all these ideas are uh, associated with planting images. Uh, Semen, seminary, seed, all these words, words we associated with high technology genes, hybrid, clones, are all plant uh, images, metaphors, motifs, and also the way we think. We think about, uh, in terms of trees, there's great debates about Darwin and his depiction of the theory of evolution as a tree, and there's loads of articles about the notion of uh, what, what a tree means to us. And also, you know, from psychology, they use tests, the tree drawing tests, for example, and how a person draws a tree in, can indicate certain things about them, whether they, and now they're using it to determine whether a person may have Alzheimer's because the crown may be reduced if they have it. It's, it's quite, quite remarkable because there's a very close, a symbiotic relationship. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's part of the thing. Our, our, we co-evolve with plants. And this symbiosis is a really uh, important and, and deep idea. Now, my argument is that this plant idea is so embedded, it's so central to all spiritual traditions the tree of life, the tree of good and knowledge, the various uh, trees in, in, in paradise, the notion of paradise itself. If, if we ask people to think, well, what is the image that might come unconsciously forward in your brain about paradise? It's usually associated with hanging around in a garden for people because this is the idea of paradise is founded on the idea of, of a garden. Uh, we fell out of a, of a, of a paradise and we're aspiring to return to a paradise. This is nearly all the traditions. uh, And trees are are, are very important in in, in all spiritual traditions. So uh, the positive side is there. The tree represents, for people like Tolkien, it represents a symbol of the natural world. And the opposite side is one that we're, we're, we're less clear about. For example, in the United States, there's uh, books of literary theory by leo marx wrote about the machine in the garden this idea of where well, we have the garden the pastoral idea associated with jefferson and the uh, uh, those leaders in the united states and there's a machine we can see coming in in literature in the 19th century with in moby dick uh, in, with with uh Hawthorne and other books it's 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 a a, a a lack of certainty created by the intrusion of this machine into the pastoral uh, the pastoral ideal but this was this was uh, this was there much earlier on uh, for example in europe uh, the royalty had gardens of automata going back for hundreds of years to tie into what we talked about so there was the machine in the garden a literal machine representing the human and now we're facing a situation where the garden itself is becoming a machine that, that the idea of plantation, the historical idea, is being applied on a broader scale. And in that idea is is a kind of remarkable concept that a lot of people don't understand, that the, the model of the forces, the corporate forces that seek to control us, are predicated on the idea of the human as a plant, and the transformation of a human into a plant, and this 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 is a remarkable idea that we see. So yes, there's a there's a danger that the the, the the positive view symbiotic idea of our relationship with a plant, and a negative view where the the plant become the organic plant becomes a mechanical plant, including us and the system of government. And that's a deep deep uh, way, if you like to to uh, to compare the two trees that we can, we, we can choose between. Well, I guess fundamentally
1: what you're saying is there's a big difference between a garden and a
0: plantation. Uh, the the idea of plantation in the United States is, uh, is dependent or determined by the horrible experience where African-American slavery with transatlantic slavery, it was a particularly nasty and horrible episode in human history with a triangle of trade. But the phenomenon of plantation is much older uh, and it goes back to the Roman times and the ideas of colony and rewarding your troops with land is is the essence uh, of a systematic expansion of empire. And in particular, I I identify the strand that grew up uh, with in the United Kingdom, particularly in the 1500s, and was developed in Ireland. Well, the plantation model, which preceded uh, or, or operate in parallel with the system in the United States. Now, the plantations initially are not the plantations of crops, they're the plantation of people. So what is being planted are people. Associated with that is usually a shift to a single crop Which by arbitrage they can use to bring to metropolitan markets, but it's the plantation of people is important. For example, in the United States, the early reservations that grew out of for Native Americans that grew out of places in Massachusetts were called Indian plantations. So they were planting the native people. They weren't plant. It wasn't for the purposes of growing crops. And and to tell the lie of that idea, uh, if we look at Ireland. Uh, we 've had this discussion before about the, the, the history of Ireland, and a lot of people think that Ireland was always poor, but at various stages Ireland was very rich in natural resources, and that was why, why it was desired and in the In the 17th century, it was particularly rich in wood, which was necessary for the, ex- the expansion uh, of uh, ships and buildings, and uh, when wood was was the important commodity uh, and the plantations uh, of a particular plantation of Ulster was associated with the destruction of the, the, the native vegetation. So, so the idea of the planting uh, was the exact uh, opposite. It was associated with planting people. And uh, in that context, they eradicated the ancient woods and they, uh, they chased the people in the woods as well. This is another, it's the same f- philosophy as the US Army used in Vietnam with uh, the attacking, uh, attacking the, 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 the jungle. With with uh, exfoli- exfoliants and, and agent orange, etc., because they want to, they don't want any place for the, the native people to hide. So plantation is a policy; it's ancient policy. We can trace it back to Egypt, uh, to Babylon. It's an ancient idea of using people uh, and sending them to to a, 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 an area for a particular purpose usually associated in the end with cultivating land, usually associated with cultivating a particular crop. And that's another aspect of plants, that if we look at the history of trade, it's often about plants. Columbus is going looking for spices. So uh, the, in the cold 17th century, when there was a change in temperature, uh, spices were, were, were particularly welcome in Europe. The Dutch and the the Spice Islands, for example, the Dutch were very important in 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 travelling to Asia and bringing back uh, certain plants, and the same with the British and the French. Uh, and they they began to cult, to use botany as well uh, as an instrument of uh, of gaining power. So we, we we always have this nice association with, with botany and the nice botanists and But actually, if you look at, for example, Australia, where they send. Uh, Tens of thousands of prisoners from Ireland and England uh, was to Botany Bay and Botany Bay was named because when when um, Captain Cook landed with uh, his his botanical crew, uh, they were interested in in the, the botanical element because that was an essential part of the mission. And it was the botanists, it was people like Joseph Banks and that, that proposed that they would use these places to, to, to colonise these, uh, these places. And it's a, another interesting little connection to show the, how pervasive this is around Berkeley, as far as I understand. I, I was there uh, once, but um, there's a lot of eucalyptus uh, along the road, uh, and that was spread. That was spread from Australia in, in, in the space of about a hundred years. So although most, the vast majority of eucalyptus trees are in Australia, there's now, the, the, the latest figure is 22 million hectares of eucalyptus uh, uh, around the world. Uh, and a lot of that is, is inappropriate to, to the native uh, uh, vegetation. So the, the point is that plantation is an imperial colonial process, a strategic use uh, and movement of people, and, and and the person who wrote about this most particularly, we well, pick one person, is Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon uh, was a, a a great proponent of plantation. so it became a, a technique, and it informed how science grew and the notion of science, and a lot of the quantification, taxonomy, etc., was associated with administration of, of of the whole network.
1: It's interesting that you bring up Francis Bacon. I've Done other interviews in which people suggest he was a great esoteric master and a, and a very wise person, but you're highlighting the dark side of Francis Bacon in your book.
0: I I, I tried uh, coming from an Irish perspective <laughs> to be as objective uh, as possible. Uh, I have been in communication, but there there's a, a few good academics writing about Bacon, so I, I look at other. Contemporary stuff, and you can't get away from it. Put aside whatever uh, g- great um, possibilities there are around him. He defines the modern world. So if you want to to, to think uh, that's great, that that's fine. But uh, he it was a very dark, a uh, very dark uh, underbelly to to the whole policy. He believed in plantation and displacement and the superiority of the the plant the planters, if, if you like. And that, 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 that's, he wrote an essay on, on plantation. You can see the ethos um, and the, the idea of exploitation, which, which is also associated with John Dee, the, the magician to Queen Elizabeth. He, he was quite involved in this uh, idea as well. So there is a, a kind of occult background to it as well about dominance, control. And although people say, well, he didn't really say these words about torture and nature. He did use plenty of words. Uh, nature was something to be abused. So there was something in a kind of deep, divine, misogynistic kind of uh, eth- ethos to it. But the other connection as well that's relevant is that he wrote The New Atlantis, which in a, many ways is the anticipation of the power of the royal society, the power of an elite scientific A group that controls society, that masters the earth, that takes its resources. And that attitude comes through Thomas uh, H. Huxley and also Bernal. So by the time we come to the 20th century, there's an idea that not only would this ethos be able to control geopolitics, but it would control everything and that they would control the environment. And one last point on that, Geoffrey. We mentioned the Crystal Palace last week. That when Dostoevsky came to, to London and he realized that this, in, this was a, 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 an important symbol of, of, of the new, of the future. And that last house is fundamentally associated with the cultivation of plants. Although we can trace it back in particular to the 1500s, really when they, the Dutch started bringing back plants from hot climates they had to create these glass houses and the glass house became the forerunner of ideas of shopping malls of arcades and that's what walter benjamin was working on and it's even if you watched i don't know if you watch the simpsons at all but they have they have uh, the cartoon program they have in one episode they're building a glass dome over springfield and this is what a lot of dystopian writers and, and people like John Lilly talked about that we would live in a glass dome eventually. That model comes from the idea of uh, acclimatization, of controlling the environment, of of that deep scientific domination, control over the environment and over people, and it's directly related to some some of of, of the future plans. So yeah, Bacon. I can't. When I, the more uh, the more I look at him. There's a, there's a total lack of uh, compassion there. There's a total lack of respect for nature. It's the pure dominating force. So, despite all that, the, the nice notions that people draw about it, uh, you can find better theorists who wrote about motion, for example, uh, and uh, and better um, better stewards of the scientific discipline uh, than than him.
1: Well, you you indicated that Bacon defined the modern world. And uh, it, it sounds very oppressive, but it seems to me that this sort of oppression goes back uh, to the very early times. Ancient Egypt must have been a terribly oppressive culture.
0: Yes, that, that's right. I mean, I, I, I don't... I, I can look at the, the, the benefits gained from science and I can, I can can we can move on from that. I, I'm, and I'm not... I'm not fond of this idea of interpreting every contemporary phenomenon in those historical terms or or blaming it on the English or blaming it on the British. It's ridiculous. You can get to some ridiculous positions on that. And it is a recurrent phenomenon. There's no question about that. So we don't say that these are particularly bad people. This is the tradition that, as you said, goes back to ancient times. And Egypt is no uh, great model, although Egypt and Greece were both very important in the mindset, and Rome were very important in the imperial mindset. My argument would be that the uh, the British Empire in particular, uh, with the Dutch Empire, a lot of people forget about the, how powerful the, the Netherlands has been in this, and particularly when, um, after uh, William of Orange uh, comes to the throne in Britain, uh, the the power of the the sea empire continues to the, to this day, so the, the the domination of the seas is became the model for for global geopolitical dominance, and that became the basis of the development of the international telecommunications network and particularly from the 1850s uh, onwards and This is the model of of globalization the the Atlanticist model, which continued to the Pacific after the uh, uh, the, 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 they got to California, uh, went on to, to to Japan to continue the axis. But there, so what we're talking about is a particular congruence and confluence of historical forces uh, that uh, can happen in, in any society. But there's a difference. The genius, in many ways, of the imperial focus in Britain uh, has been so successful and translated into. A global endeavor uh, through uh, moving up the chain of command away from just political control to economic, commercial, uh, technological control is the the danger that it can inflict a totalizing model which uh, extends into the human consciousness itself, and that's where, where the, the this scientific left brain dominating mindset that E. McGilchrist talks about. It has a, has a vehicle derived from a vast range of historical forces that really threatens human consciousness itself. That, that's the problem.
1: It does seem, if uh, you, re- you regard Bacon as one of the people who defined the modern world and, as I recall, defined the scientific method, you indicated there were alternatives. What are some of the
0: alternatives? Uh, alternatives to what? To Bacon. If you look at the reports, and I've read them in English and in Spanish, that came back from uh, from the conquistadores, from the uh, invasion of, of uh, Peru and Mexico, uh, what they found there, apart from apart from the propagandistic elements uh, and which were there, I mean, we're talking about empires there as well, so people glorify. The, the native traditions, but they were imperialists as well. We're talking about the Aztecs and the Incas, and they did terrible things to their neighbours. So we shouldn't just glorify what was there. But it's quite clear from the descriptions, first hand, that the uh, South American and Central American nations had produced some incredible civilised uh, civilised models. Uh, they were they were very in touch with, uh, knowledgeable about the stars, astronomy. They had developed. Uh, beautiful cities of canals uh, and uh, horticulture, and the descriptions in Spanish are are, are, be- are beautiful. Again, uh, subject to the the point that they're also they're they're also empires, and they, for example, so so they had their own system of knowledge, which was as scientific, and people are understanding that one of the genius uh, elements of empire is to take other people's system of knowledge. So, for example, if we take Hans Sloan, who was actually born in Ireland, as, but in, in the planter class there, uh, and he, he's, he's the man behind the British Museum. It's really his collection that, that establishes the British Museum in, in the mid-18th century. But he goes to Jamaica, and we have the sugar plantations uh, there. And he learned of, in the slaves, as well, he learned about the cultivation of, of certain plants, the, the cola, nut, and things like that, that would be the basis of massive businesses around the place. And the same with bananas. They took the information and they brought it back, and then they cultivated particular examples that would allow economic dominance. So, a particular, a particular brand of banana came from, from the British Empire, a particular brand of cotton was developed in the Physic Garden in in London, uh, and that was the one that was used in the United States. So they began to control the technology uh, of plants, but they learned a lot of the the technology from from other cultures. And the Dutch were excellent at going out to Java and Indonesia and learning uh, their knowledge. So there's a lot more material understanding that... There's no less scientific in these other countries. And we have ideas also of traditional environmental knowledge. It was as scientific, but it wasn't the particular type of science that had grown up in Europe. And I would also say one point that the science in Europe was heavily influenced by uh, the Catholic Church. And a lot of people don't concede <laughs> that point to say well science kind of grew up independently but the scholastic tradition uh was very very important in ways of thinking about science and the scientific method for example and this was actually one of the reasons why science grew up in europe as opposed to china in that particular form or in other countries and uh, although there was a strong islamic scientific tradition it was very influential there were particular factors associated with a wider cultural ethos that gave birth to not least log that gave birth to the pe- peculiar successful scientific method and so, so what i would say is that there are uh, there are all kinds of, uh, of alternative approaches Uh, including people would point to tesla in a a more modern context there are different ways of doing things but if you attach your scientific method to imperial interests well then you get a particular type of imperial science and that that is the problem it's it's the confluence of imperial utilitarianism uh, with scientific method and that can be seen in the life of of uh, Robert Boyle as well. He was working on fantastic scientific investigations, but they're also involved in trying to find how they could apply this science to the imperial methodology. And it's the exact same with Thomas Huxley, who also used the example of the garden, that we're going to use this garden, we'll plant the people there and we'll exploit it. So uh, it's this link with power, with uh, taking other people's things, with not being consistent with nature, with what C.S. Lewis described as not being consistent with the Tao. So although a lot of people see him as a as a purely Christian writer, he talked about the Tao. And, and, and what he said was, we can either seek to dominate nature and, and the Tao, or we can work with it. And in all the perennial traditions, you recognize a higher force and accommodate yourself to it, as opposed to imposing your mind on it and then finally uh, jeff sorry if if you believe if you take away a higher force take away the divine force and you believe that you are the god well then you are going to control the garden and you have the right to act as gods that's another philosophical element that crept into the agenda and so there's no higher force it's only the will of of usually man of of human kinds, and that's where we get into the kind of sorcery element, the dark element the the, the pure the pure satisfaction of the will that lies behind uh, sorcery magic control that that, that has been the cyber some of the cybernetic cyberneticians described as the dark side of of cybernetics as well.
1: Well, the earliest humans had no agriculture, as I recall. They were hunters and gatherers. And then, it seems to me that the rise of agriculture occurred simultaneous with the rise of empires.
0: Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of literature explaining about the significance of uh, agriculture and the the, the shift to uh, particular crops and the and the cultivation of certain grains and the distinction between a society which is fixed to the land and a society which is mobile and, and there's there's loads of interest in historical studies of a, of comparing uh, mobile populations with fixed populations so yes the uh, empire as it grew up in its later form was particularly associated with the cultivation of crops and the cultivation of a vast amount of estates so for example the latifundia in south america go back to the roman era and in spain there are still plenty of olive groves that go back to the time of of, of christ and and the direct connection between the conquer of uh, conquest of land and the management of land and the the, the imperial uh, endeavor and the shift away from a society where people could, uh, could uh, they, were, they were browsers. So if you like, there's a, a distinction between a sheep and a goat. The goat is seen as a browser that can wander around under plant image, and, and the sheep is a grazer, which is kind of fixed in particular places. Uh, so there is that idea of the human as well. So yes, a- agricultural methods uh, and the centralize- centralizing forces the growth of certain uh, technologies, uh, the, the, the Roman infrastructure of roads, for example, uh, all roads lead to Rome, but it's it still manifest on maps. You can see it from satellites. You can see the, the structure that goes back to Roman times. So associated with this centralization force was a, a growth in military technology. And military technology is a critical factor in the evolution of empire because it, it allows empire... And empires work by standardization, by harmonization, by making things the same, by making, by making uh, rule everything the same, so they can rule from the center.
1: It takes us back to the title of this interview: "Plantations of the Mind." The the empire is really trying to implant itself in the minds of its citizens.
0: Well, well, yes, uh, it, it, it is a remarkable, a remarkable phenomenon that. There is a degree of crystallization of the mind of the citizen in an imperial system. So the nice word, for example, of standardizing the laws in, in the EU is harmonizing. So it sounds like a nice, who doesn't want to be in, in harmony? But another word for that is making everything the same. It's the same philosophy in commerce, in McDonald's. You go into a, a McDonald's in Indonesia, it's the same, it's standard. And this homogenization suits centralization it suits the automatic world and this process has to inform the uh, mentality of the people involved in it, of the citizens or subjects or objects of this imperial system so uh, and, and that will come down to how they spend their time so the the, 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 the uh, emperors knew that the plebeians were kind of easily bought off with bread and circuses. And this continues today, unfortunately, that the the people, uh, ourselves, are bought off by uh, cheap entertainment as a a distraction from from the bigger forces. But what we're facing now is an idea, a, a direct idea of moving into human consciousness, that the imperial model now Sees the, the the dark continent as human consciousness, and it is creating the technology. is mapping out the, the the neurophysiological structure so that it can create the stations, so that it can move in and colonize. And under the, the, the slight difference, now the the medical pharmaceutical establishments are given rights. So a patent is is a, a legal right. Over, over, it could be over the land of our consciousness in, in many ways. A, a twenty-year right to do something as they begin to develop systems, and of course, the idea of uh, implants is, is a key idea, and that also, it also refers to uh, the deeper idea that was developed. If we look back at Ewan um, Cameron and, and the experiments on the mind. Uh, uh, Donald uh, Ewan Cameron in Canada in the 60s and, and implanting ideas through research into human consciousness. It was the same idea. How could we implant by psychic driving ideas into the human mind? Propaganda, propagate, it's the same idea. So the idea that derives from this long tradition is that there will be a plantation of human consciousness. Now, before I started on this endeavor, uh, a, a year or two ago, I hadn't seen any of the recent literature. There's more literature coming out from people that understand. They talk in terms of the plantation scene, plantocracy, and they understand that this historical model is, uh, is wider than that, and it can be applied to describe what I term the global plantation, although often the academics focus unduly on, on, on the, the U.S. model and don't look in, 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 a, in a wider perspective. And I, I would urge them to see the historical continuity that, uh, that you talked about. When well, you go.
1: it does seem to me that it's a question of balance. I know that in our country, in, in the United States, we drive on the right side of the road. In England, people drive on the left side of the road. And it's very important... To follow the rules of uh, whatever jurisdiction you're in, or you're going to get in big trouble. You may lose your life. I think it's more universal. You stop on a red light and go on a green light. But so these things
0: become deeply embedded in our consciousness. We're talking about rule, and this is a this is a thing that in a lot of discussions and contemporary issues they don't look at the the, the idea of jurisprudence. And that's the science of law, and Moses uh, would have been uh, concerned with jurisprudence. Muhammad was concerned with jurisprudence. The link between spiritual ideas and making rules. And again, the masters of making rules were the uh, the British. That's what they were very very good at. If you look. Uh, I'm not paying any attention to this World Cup and football at the moment for a number of reasons, but I'm not going to watch any of the matches for there's another debate. But uh, in, in that context, the uh, football, it didn't start off in, in Britain, but they, they made the rules and they became the centre of the establishment of, of, of world football. And again, as, as well as we can add cricket, uh, golf, horse racing, it was because they made rules that they standardised these activities. So there's a benefit to standardising activity. So as we're speaking, there's loads of people around the world playing golf and they have internalised the rules that were basically established in St. Andrews in Scotland a few hundred years ago and they automatically adhere to that. So of course there's, there's, benefits, uh, there's benefits to rules. But if we look at Alan Turing that we talked about and when we look at cybernetics, And we look at algorithms. Algorithms are rules as well. How these machines work are on the basis of rules. And they can be programmed. So again, it's no surprise that cybernetics and and that Britain and the United States, the Anglosphere, uh, were important in the development of of computers and computerization. It it followed on. It was going to because it was the next level of the expansion of, of a global force Again, coming out of the military industrial complex, it didn't come out of anywhere else. All the developments in telecommunications came out of strategic interest. So that's based on rules again. But we're at a stage in human development where this perfection of rules has become a left brain obsession. And the idea that we'll take out that daft idea that you have, Jeff, of maybe a free will, and of uh, being allowed to make decisions. And we'll replace that messy daftness and a, a messy idea of free will that, that really doesn't have any credible mathematical base and replace it by predetermined crystallized forces, which will guarantee a kind of universal harmony control of, effectively, of plants. There's a book written by Luther Burbank. If you go into any McDonald's, they seem to use the the potato that he developed, the Burbank potato. Anyway, again, and he wrote a book in 1907 called "The Training of the Human Plant," and this he he was talking about eugenics. And the uh, eugenicists saw the individual as a, a plant. Now, this is not a new idea, because one uh, one person that influenced me as I was thinking about these issues was your mentor, Arthur M. Young, and he talked uh, in The Reflexive Universe and in conversations with you about his idea of uh, a modified chain of being, the descent of spirit into matter and its rise again. And he he made that analysis on the basis of a review of all the esoteric and philosophical traditions. So this idea that we have evolved from matter through plants to animals to, to humans... Uh, We can see it in Aristotle and in Aquinas and the idea of the vegetative soul. And we talk in medical terms about a person being in a vegetative state. So this idea uh, defines the approach of a lot of scientists and a lot of organizers or controllers. The idea is, well, actually, the human is only some kind of equivalent to a vegetative Soul and and, and the other things are mere add ons that they're deluded about. So, as Anthony Burgess talked about, there's the danger of the clockwork orange, the idea of this mechanization of the organic. Uh, We have have already the the mechanical or digital apple, (laughs) uh, which rules the the world. So, what we're facing is and another person who's interested in this area is is a, a scholar who has written about uh, automata called uh, Jessica Riskin and she has written a book called The Restless Clock and she explains the significance of this idea in in, in looking at automata uh, and the idea of the human as being a clockwork mechanism and the the, the contrast between that view and some deeper contrasting teleological view so she argues that people like richard dawkins come back to this particular view of human biology but there is another stream and i suppose we could we could refer to goethe there has been another element or possibly a a contrasting approach to science uh, to refer back to your your earlier question and of course he wrote the metamorphosis of plants in 1790 and he had the idea of the herb plants a kind of a universal leaf a kind of uh, a basic construction or pattern which anticipated a lot of ideas of fractals and uh, and and other ideas but there is a there is a deep conflict so so to come back to your, your your question rules are important but generally the rules that are best are rules that reflect consensus that reflect perceived interest and we then accept them particularly if they're voluntary like in sports where we say yeah that's the optimum way to do so but if we have a a machine of rules which enforces itself on us well then it's dangerous and the last point i'm sorry jeff going on so long last point if you look at the origins of of nato uh, in one of the major books, they talk about that the system had to be developed for the machine. They, they, it's said in one of the main texts, which I've described in the book, that it was machine needs which were dictating global governance. Now, this is putting the putting the cart before the horse, and it's a daft, and it shows you where an obsession with rules begins to forget that rules are for to facilitate things. They're not to control everything. And that's the danger of a left-brain approach.
1: Well, since you bring up Goethe and his very seminal work on the nature of plants, and even he goes so far as to look at the relationship between plants and poetry and the archetypal patterns underneath both of these... Goethe was a big influence on the philosopher and esoteric thinker Rudolf Steiner, who wrote extensively on the scientific method and also on society and community. Uh, and the idea of uh, an organic way of life in harmony uh, with nature. I know he, for example, advocated architecture that never had uh, right angles or straight lines. All the the windows and doors had five or six sides in order to avoid uh, perpendicular
0: lines. Yes, and, and that would have been an idea that artists like Hunter Wasser, for example, would have taken. He he was against the straight line. And part of that objection is because it was a reaction to the idea, if you take Hunter Wasser, that we live in a machine, that a house was a machine for living, uh, for example. And if we go back to Steiner, Steiner had looked at, for example, how bees behave and bees like particular shapes and don't like other shapes. So the natural world is not characterized by this linearity. Uh, and so I, I've emphasized the significance of, of the loop, but we could also look at the curve and the significance of the curve. And Western society has had that particular bias towards, uh, towards the straight line. And in architecture, there is this uh, dendral form, the dendritic form. If we look back at a lot of the, the great cathedrals, they represent the articulation in stone of uh, biological patterns. A lot of the, the trees informed the structure. If you go to the uh, Moorish, uh, the remains of the Moorish mosques in, in Andalusia, in Spain, you see the, uh, that are based on geographical or, or, or on, on tree uh, motifs, whether the date palm, or in particular in the Alhambra, has the pomegranate, and the pomegranate informed uh, the whole architecture. But in those cases, they were trying to reflect a, gra- a divine consciousness. And Goethe certainly had a, a, a broader idea of the nature of science and an idea of, uh, consistent with C.S. Lewis, of, of being an observer and, and, and integrating in some way into the process and not trying to dominate it. So he would be another person we could contrast in, in, in relation to your question about the Baconian alternatives. And uh, that o- opposite trend, which didn't focus on, on the mechanism as critical. And Steiner was uh, was very, plants were very important for him. He didn't, uh, he didn't emphasize, he said there's limitations to the comparison of plants and humans. He, he said, of course, a plant could be regarded as an upside down human, where the bulb is the head, et, cetera, et cetera, and made a comparison. Uh, so, so there's others who were more uh, although he was who is very interested in agriculture and the significance of agriculture in relation to the analogy between humans and plants uh, there, there, there are other ones that are forgotten, for example Carl Jung, and I had a, I was in the garden the other day Jeff. I was just showing you, now this is not from the garden, but, but I don't know if you can see this, this is a, a stick basically that you'd find it's a stick, would be regarded as a medicine man's Stick anywhere you'd, you'd find in various countries with the the snake, and the, so it's like a schlepious rod. Sometimes you have two snakes. And uh Carl Jung, I, I was reading Carl Jung, and he emphasises plants. And I found this in the garden the other day, uh, and you can see that there is a. I don't know if you can see that there is a a plant which is growing, and then a, a vine like I, I think it's woodbine has grown around it which produces the exact same result. And he said, uh, he said that instead of thinking about the snake in the garden, one interview, he said, you should think about the serpentine form. And I was thinking that that was a perfect example for me of that the idea of one thing that we associate with a snake may actually refer to a different serpentine form. For example, DNA is a serpentine form. And Carl Jung made those points, and he, he identified clearly the connection between the plant and the spirit. Although, in, in a lot of the discussions about Jung, that element is is ignored. Uh, but certainly, um, as you've mentioned, Goethe, uh, Steiner, and uh, Jung as well, I would put in the equation, are people who understood the ubiquitous the nature of plants i have i won't show you another plant i have there that i cut in the garden but uh, it's a vine from uh, uh uh some grapes that were planted in, in the garden and if we go back to the bible of course jesus says i am the vine and you are the branches and that's it that's something that people don't pay too much attention to but it's a deep a deep metaphor and and, and what that means and there's an interesting comparison between the images that people use. The vine presumes that you become the fruit in, in, in your spiritual development. That's obviously the implication. And the idea of fruit is associated with uh, developing the spirit, the fruits of the spirit in Galatians. And opposite to that, we have an idea of ivy, which is similar to a vine, but it often occurs as an example of something which is parasitic on other plants. So it doesn't have the same the same purpose now in in pagan traditions I, ivy has a lot of beneficial aspects but we often have clubs which are associated with people coming together for particular purpose and it's associated with ivy james joyce wrote a book ivy day at the committee or uh, an essay a short story sorry uh, ivy day at the committee room and he uses ivy as a symbol of people Joining together for purposes which are not beneficial. So, so it's it's right throughout uh, philosophy, but we don't pay too much attention to the to the exactitude of, of of the particular stories. And all these, all the major thinkers have something important to say about plants. So, so the the argument would be we should actually pay close attention to how they're talking about plants and whether their view moves us to an idea that we can actually continue our symbiotic relationship with plants or whether it moves us to an idea that we move away from the natural world and we be treated as plants in the mechanical garden with the machines in the in the garden. And, and that's, that's where, where the tug is between, the two tendencies and, and the two different directions. So, I, 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 sorry, I went on a bit long there, so...
1: <laughs> no, I thought you were about to make a very important point about the the two directions. Point
0: being is that if we choose to regard the natural world as something that can be transformed into a mechanical metallic plant garden with the human assimilated into that system, we go to a very different place than if we seek to tend towards some idea of affinity with the natural world, as the native people are telling us to do so, as all the indigenous people are telling us to do so, as all the religious traditions tell us to do so. So we have, we have a direct choice. So although there are patterns, all people are interested in rules, for example, but it's what the function of those are. And my concern is that we are committing ourselves irreversibly to a situation where we go from machine in the garden to the garden of the machine to the to the plantation uh, to the solid state entity, and that's what you've talked with John Lilly and that 's what he described as uh, as a system which was coming where we transform the organic world into a world of silicon, lithium uh, and iron. And replace the natural world. A lot of people don't believe that this is a reality, but that's the that's the implication of an overly developed, concentrated, crystallised left brain, science, imperial scientific view. Not conditions, not balanced in the way that you've talked about by understanding the full the full human flourishing and, in, and even the world flourishing, as you've talked about with Stefan Schwartz, it, means, it comes from the word flower. So, so the, uh, it's ubiquitous. We, we have to have a proper idea and a proper relationship and a proper commitment to the natural world and a proper awareness of really how serious the diverse forces are that can turn us into. Sorry, the last I have to finish off the, now that you've started. The last point is now that people are understanding uh, the mycor- mycorrhizal connection on the ground between fungus with, with trees. This, I believe, is the model for our connection uh, with the internet. The idea that as the fungus creates a symbiotic endosymbiotic connection with the with the tree, if the internet penetrates into our body, well, then we are unified in a system uh, of of information exchange. But. The consequence of that is that we become fixed, we become planted, we become plants. And that, that is—and when free will is taken, when those algorithms through a symbiotic system that interpenetrates into human consciousness ca- can signal to us what behavior is appropriate, we lose free will and we go back down this, uh, we, go, we, we go into reverse. Instead of evolving, as, as Arthur M. Jung talked about, we go into a devolved state. We go back down the chain of being.
1: Well, you've brought up native uh, indigenous people as a model for how we should be thinking of our relationship with nature. And this, the sad thing is, uh, not only are they a model, but they are you might say they're the canary in the coal mine because they've been decimated. They uh, uh, Native people uh, throughout the world are, are suffering from uh, drug abuse alcohol abuse high rates of suicide and and poverty so as as much as i respect their their philosophies one is tempted to say don't go in that
0: direction or you'll end up like they did what, what happened if you look at the irish context and this is a, a thing that people don't really understand and france Fanon wrote about this in *The Wretched of the Earth*. Say, for example, you can you can you can you can take the colonization of Ireland at any particular date, but say take it eleven eleven sixty nine, and say it was going on for uh, eight hundred years. Eight hundred years of colonization, of genocide, of destruction of culture. Its a devastating effect on a psychic, on a cultural, and generation. I don't think Ireland ever recovered from that despite independence, because there's an argument that it takes a number of generations, and Fanon uh, made that argument. The consequences of disturbing organic development go on for generations. And it may, by the time Ireland joined the European community, there's an argument that it hadn't fully recovered its, 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 its psychic independence. I, I don't think it did. The same thing is, is, is applied to the native people, I went and stayed in a reservation uh, and uh, I, w- I was sick when I was there and I was wondering why was I sick and I was sick because they stick these horrible industrial plants near the reservations as well so the water was probably contaminated and you used the you used a very accurate phrase the canary in, the, in in the in the coal mine that is the, the title of an essay from a book I got when I was I was over in uh, talking in Canada years ago um, it was a book by Jace Weaver, a collection of writings. Uh, he he was from Yale, uh, I think he was Cherokee, very interesting man. Uh, and he, uh, we were t- we we talked about all these issues, but the the what has been done to, to to native people will take generations to cure, and the struggles are still going on at at as as you know with with the with the Sioux and, and, and Standing Rock and, and all, all these struggles. Only, it was only a week or two, two ago, I think it was a week ago, that the, the Sioux got a return of uh, some of the things that were lost in the Battle of Wounded Knee that had been in the museum. That was good that the museum returned them. But these things are very, very significant because they have retained that connection to the land and, and their ancestors. So uh, I I know there is also another problem in relation to the models that are applied, Uh, for example, this idea of welfare capitalism. Uh, It's a very, very dangerous idea that uh, you make people dependent on welfare. That's a strategy that's used uh, by the left and the right, uh, and that has been devastating. So, uh, but instead of talking to the, the, the poor people that have, found it very, very difficult to escape from that vicious cycle. Uh, one has to listen to the most articulate uh, who have been able to be successful uh, in both worlds and who have explained very cotently how there is a, a Native American theological or theology, uh, how this relates to mining, how this relates to the destruction of water, and how this can be applied in, in a modern context. So we have to, we we have to look to those uh, voices, and there's a lot of younger voices coming through, and they they will be able to to to, to tell us. And and, and again, in, in Ireland, Ireland has lost uh, its concept of indigeneity. Uh, uh, it, it's lost a lot of that, and it's a major loss. And I don't think it'll be able, unfortunately, uh, to recover to to recover those. So so we have to bear in mind that these are the the poison fruits of. Of uh, Colonization, but um, th- these are going, these problems are going to visit the, the, the industrial worlds the, the, if you like the perpetrators historically, the systems, not the people, the systems that created them and uh, so, so it will come back to haunt them as well we won 't be able to escape these issues
1: It begs the question let 's say specifically with regard to the Irish, if they can 't recover their original connection uh with with their uh, origins with nature i don't know perhaps that's the druid culture i'm not sure where do they go from here where do we go from here
0: well a lot of people would contest that and and, and, and i'm sure they would say that's not true and we're looking back at again uh, and it's there is little little shoots of it but really What we're talking about is a situation where any Ireland is one of the most globalised economies in the world. And if you're a globalised economy, you're open to all the forces, uh, all the uh, short-term, long-term influences of movement of capital. And the movement of capital and uh, the commercial culture uh, begins to take over and standardise and and homogenise. And also Ireland is very jumped from... Almost a, a pre industrial society towards a service, a high tech service economy, and therefore has an alternative model to. And a lot, most people are happy with that. They're, 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 a lot of people are very happy with the, uh, where, where, where the country has gone in that sense. So they might contest the idea that, uh, or, or that we can't look backwards or that you're conservative in some sense because you do. But really, we're, we're talking about a shift in the evolution of humanity and whether we consider ourselves as uh, natural beings who are part of an environment in any way or whether we are moving into the Crystal Palace, we're moving into this totally uh, controlled uh, environment indoors, maybe surrounded by glass, where we're influenced, where we become uh, linked to to the system that governs us and don't have a relationship with uh, animals or or the, the outside world in any meaningful sense. And the more and more we do that, we, become more, we have to become more and more fixed. We have to be, become more immobile. And if you look at the plans, for example, associated with uh, environmental evolution, they are, they are telling us, they're quite clear, they're planning to phase out and make it more difficult for people to, to drive or to move around or to travel on airplanes. So you're not going, this, this promise of globalization was a bit of a, was a tactic in an overall strategy for control and i 've studied globalization quite a bit, but the consequence will be that we will be fixed more and more we won 't be moving around in the same way there will certainly be, there will be high speed mitigations and other things eventually. but the plan is really to to fix us a bit more but we 're fixed in a, a metropolitan uh, technological environment uh, with Without that, that 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 connection to nature and it 's very very important, and people see that technological plant and this is important because you, you mentioned as well uh, that Arthur M. Jung mentioned this point about how technology is called plant all telecommunications is called plant, and because they are plant in a particular mind they are analogous to a plant system, so all this technological infrastructure is a new metallic plant that we will be in a symbiotic relationship with. So it's not just about the Irish people. It's about all people that when they come to a particular level, they have choices to make, that they can either go into a total technosphere or something which is a balance, which accepts, as Lawrence van der Post, who wrote The Bushmen of the Kalahari, said... The greatest longing in human nature is to unite what's oldest oldest in us with the newest. So if we can take the benefits of the thinking process, of the paradigms that existed informed by indigenous and the best indigenous thinking, with the best of technology, then we may be able to get a better balance. But if we commit to one, then we have to remember what blake said and blake said that science is the tree of death uh so i mean it's quite stark science talking about newtonian science science is the tree of death and this tree we even see it in the idea of the knowledge tree which is a kind of a, a funny inversion of the tree of knowledge of good and evil becomes the knowledge tree in the structures of these systems the cybernetic systems are often defined by trees um and treads which, is, which comes from plants, another uh, philosophy associated with that, uh, and we lose it, and we lose the idea of ourselves in, in that as well, because if we look at people, the traditionalists like Ananda kumara he explained Swami, he explained how, if you look at a lot of early cultures in, in the Indian uh, arts, for example, you see that the model is that the gods developed the water and the plants directly. That's the next stage. So uh, we have a plant coming from the water, uh, which is uh, in all cultures. Now I I think that comes from uh, giving birth, and when the waters break, and then the child comes. and You have the placenta, which is the tree of life, and I think that that's where that deep mythic sense, um, that mythic sense came from. But uh, later that develops, where we get a tread doctrine, and the treads are associated with cloth and weaving. Which is a, it was a next iteration, and that informs a lot of of deep philosophical uh, philosophical ideas. But we're shifting to a system where our whole world will be defined in digital terms, by networks, by algorithms, by machines, by metal, by silicon, by lithium, and a lot of these people, a lot of people that I have discussions with, uh, who are very much in favour of high technology. They never tell you about the environmental cost. They never tell you about the environmental cost of electric cars, for example. Or if you go, uh, as someone reported to me, uh, to British Caledonia, and you see the big mounds of earth, which is necessary to get access to to lithium for the batteries. They never tell you about all those environmental costs. And the mining necessary to to make this solid state entity uh, come into being uh, is huge. And, and that, 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 that is, is attacking resources, It's digging up sacred sites all, all over the world for this network that people keep telling us is, you know, in some way more environmentally friendly. So there's a high cost. So, so, so there is a there is a uh, if we don't get the balance that you've talked about, there is a stark choice between, between two different models and they're not reconcilable.
1: Well, James Tunney, once again, a very provocative, stimulating conversation. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy these discussions. I, I think, like you, I, I, or like all of our viewers, we're caught. In, in between two worlds, so to speak, I'm a big advocate for the world of consciousness and, uh, the, the vastness of, of the human spirit and the human soul. I think you are too. So, uh, I'm delighted to continue these conversations with you as, as long as we both, uh, desire, as long as we can keep finding new angles to uh, have in our discussions.
0: Thank you once again so much for being with me. Well, thanks very much. And the last point, uh, the great the great benefit for me is that uh, in many ways, you are a, a living authority, as the native people would say, and you're a source uh, because of your embeddedness in that culture of discussion in California and the people around the world you've talked to. Uh, and so that, that helps very much in relation to having a sensible dialogue about the possibilities and the options and in if we go back to genesis there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and people say well why would uh, why would god punish uh, punish the people for cho- choosing one i don't think that was the the moral of the story the moral of the story was that there are consequences if you choose one and we can we can say don't put your hand in the fire. If you do put your hand in the fire, there are consequences for what happened. You might learn. There's different ways of learning, so that's what we're talking about. And uh, what uh, you're not against technology, I'm not against technology. You are in favour of the exploration of consciousness, so am I. And I think that if we get the balance right, as you said, that's the optimum way. And and if we get a balance informed by the left and the right brain, that we can we can solve these problems. Otherwise. Uh, just, just dystopia. But thank you again. As always, a great pleasure. Thank you.
1: And for those of you listening and watching, thank you for being with us. <laughs>